Welcome to the Marriage Counselor's Corner. Right this way. Your therapist will see you shortly. In the meantime, sit back, kick your feet up on the couch, and get ready to focus on adding very valuable tools to your marriage toolkit. And now your host and marriage counselor, David Taylor. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode. My name is David Taylor, and I am your host of the Marriage Counselor's Corner podcast. That's right. We're on episode four, and this is the place where you get credible and tangible marriage-related information from a licensed mental health counselor. And over the past 18 years of clinical experience, I have discovered the things that work to make your marriage healthy. So I want you to see this episode as a masterclass in marriage, where I take a psychological and practical approach to marriage education and enrichment. Now, this is episode number four, and in today's session, I'm going to be discussing a topic that is very, very, very important to your marriage. Now, because of time constraints, I'm just going to go in, like, deal with the tip of the iceberg, but I'm going to really make sure that you get some information that you can use and apply until we come back to another session. And in fact, this subject is one of the main reasons why people come to see me in the office and why people hire me as their therapist. And difficulties in this area is one of the leading causes of divorce. I'm sure you guys have guessed it by now. Today, I'm going to be discussing effective communication inside of your marriage. So I want you to buckle up and really make sure that you got some notes or take some notes, get your pen and pad, uh, get rid of the distractions uh, because we're going to dive in. And I want you to think of it from this angle, how you communicate inside of your marriage determines the overall health of your marriage. Everything, every other aspect of your marriage is impacted by communication. And so if you have unhealthy communication, the foundation of your marriage is going to be unhealthy. There's no way around it. If you don't know how to effectively communicate, how can you effectively deal with conflict? How can you resolve those conflicts? If you don't have no if you don't know how to communicate, how can you have healthy intimacy? If you don't know how to communicate, how can you plan for the future and make sure that you have built a system that is healthy enough to manage children and jobs and finances and health and all of the other things that come along with marriage? Your communication has to be top-notch in order to have a healthy, thriving, sustaining marriage. As a matter of fact, effective communication is so important to your marriage that it is one of the 10 pillars of marriage. Think back to the earlier podcast, I think it was episode number two, where I talked about the 10 pillars, or maybe it was one. It was one of those podcast episodes. Go back and think about that, right? Effective communication was one of the 10 pillars. That's how important it is. It holds up the marriage. It sustains the marriage. And today I'm just going to dive in, like I said earlier, to just a little bit, just going to deal with the, the, the tip of the iceberg and focus just on two things. Now, there are a lot more aspects of effective communication that I can delve into and I will in future sessions, but for the interest of time and to make sure I don't give you guys everything in one session because it'd just be too much, we're going to just dive into two areas of effective communication. So I want you to think of it from this angle. In order to communicate effectively inside of your marriage and with your spouse, you have to understand these two things. First, you have to understand what communication is actually made up of. 
And what I've found as I've studied this and really worked hard to apply these principles, not only in my marriage, but in the marriages that I help, I found that a lot of times people, they don't know exactly what communication is made up of. And there are actually three levels, three levels of communication. Now, I want you guys to guess for a second. So I'm going to ask you, what are those three levels? Okay. I can't hear you, (laughs) but I want you to answer that to yourself or even out loud. What do you think the three levels of communication are? You got your answers? Okay. So we're going to start with the first. If you guessed correctly, the first one is vocabulary. So one layer or level of communication is the actual words that we say. The vocabulary are the words that we say. The second level of communication is voice inflection or what we may call tone, how you say what you say. And then the third level is your body language. This is comprised of your nonverbal cues, what you do with your body while you are saying what you say. Okay, so three levels, vocabulary or the words that you use, voice inflection or your tone and body language. Now I'm going to ask you another question. So you got the three levels of communication, right? Vocabulary, voice inflection and body language. Which one of those is the most important when it comes to communication? Is it body language? Is it voice inflection or is it vocabulary, right? Which one of those hold the most weight? Now, some of you guys may be guessing and saying, wait, wait, the vocabulary, right? Because the words you use, that's important to your marriage. And that's how we base our understanding of each other off of our language. And you're correct in that the language is very important, but you may be surprised to realize that the vocabulary, the language, the words you use, that's actually the least important or impactful aspect of communication. It's still important, but when it comes to understanding and really having a thorough fundamental um, relationship or connection with communication inside of your marriage, the words you use, even though they're important, they are not as important as some of the other things. And this is actually more important inside of a conflict. So if you're dealing with a conflict, what I'm about to say is very important to remember. So vocabulary is the least weighty aspect of communication. As a matter of fact, it makes up only 7% of communication, the words that you use. I get it. I know what you say, the words, the language, that's what you hear. But there's more to the story here, right? So vocabulary only makes up 7% of communication. Or another way to say it is 7% of communication is based off of what we say. Now, if that's not as important, what what is? What about what about voice inflection? Well, voice inflection or your tone is 38% of communication. So 38% of how we communicate is based off of how we say what we say. So the vocabulary that we use, our tone actually t- will communicate more than just the words. So I want you to be thinking about that. So how you say what you say actually conveys a lot more meaning. I could say the word, oh, right? Like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And that conveys a certain meaning just by using that tone. Or I can say, oh, and guess what? I've just conveyed a different meaning. Or I can say, oh, mm." (laughs) right? Now I'm giving a different meaning. Or, oh, 
Now I'm giving another meaning. I'm using the same word, but I'm just saying it with a different inflection. And how you say what you said, it conveys more than just the words. So I want you guys to be thinking about this when we look at how communication is actually comprised. Not only is it important to know the words and understand how important those are, but we also have to understand the inflection or the tone because that conveys a lot more meaning. But let's not stop there. That third level that we mentioned earlier, body language or nonverbal behaviors, that actually comprises 55% of communication. Yes, so over half of communication is based off of our nonverbal behaviors, right? So what are we doing with our body language, with our hands, with our shoulders? With that, what about the micro expressions on your face? Everything that you're doing with your body while you're communicating with your spouse is communicating something. What are you communicating with your body language? Are you even aware that you're communicating something with your nonverbal cues? Are you even aware that you have nonverbal cues? <laughs> I see this a lot in session, by the way. And to be honest, I see a lot of times the wives that I work with, uh, they, they are more nonverbally expressive than the men, than the husbands. And so if you look at their face while you ask them a question or while they're communicating, you can read a lot more into what they're saying versus just listening to the tone, which is very important, and just listening to the vocabulary, which is also very important. I actually recommend, if you really want to understand this concept, uh, there's a great book called Blink by Malcolm Gladwell, really, really great author, really great writer and researcher. He, he did an excellent job, an excellent job with this book. Read Blink. B-L-I-N-K, Blink. Um, and I think that'll help you to really get a grasp on what nonverbal behavior, what those things look like. The micro expressions that we communicate on our face that a lot of times we're not even aware of. The nonverbal things that we do, the subconscious things that we do with our body language that we're not even aware. And then there's a, a lot more great books. I got a lot on my bookshelf in terms of just understanding body language. As a therapist, it just helps me to communicate more effectively when I can read what a, what a person is doing with their body language. And guess what? It helps me teach better when I could use these things as examples, right? So 55% um, of communication is based off of your nonverbal behaviors. That's important. If you want to understand and effectively communicate on a deeper level, you must understand what vocabulary, voice inflection or tone, and then body language, what, what, all the, what all that looks like and sounds like. You don't want to just think of communication as what a person is saying, the words that they're saying. You want to look at it as they're also communicating with their tone and with their nonverbal behaviors. And if I negate those, then I'm going to miss a lot of what's being said. So husbands, husbands that are listening, if you want to get better at connecting and communicating with your wife, pay attention to her tone and pay attention to her body language, right? Put the phone down, put the remote control down, look at her in her eyes, look at her body, scan when you're listening. Don't just, you know, look off into the space or to the wherever to when you're talking, pay attention to what she's saying with her face, pay attention to what she's saying with her body language, with her shoulders, with her hands. And the same is the case for wives. You guys, I found do it um, better more consistently, but you still could use some, you know, you could brush up in this area as well. And so make sure that as you're communicating with your husband, you pay attention to his nonverbal cues because he's going to tell you a lot about whether he wants to be part of the conversation or not, just in his body language. And he's also going to tell you a lot about that in his tone. 
right? And if you misinterpret those things, you may be missing a whole, whole chunk of the conversation because you're only listening to the words, right? Well, but she said this. Yes, I heard what she said, but also heard. You see what I did there with my tone? See that? that that's, that's, that's that tone. I also heard with her body language or what she was saying with her body language. I also heard what he said with his tone. So you just don't get hung up on just the words. Listen to the tone and pay attention to the body language, which means you have to look. You have to pay attention. You have to be present inside of a conversation. Okay, so that's the first thing I wanted to talk about. And I'm not going to, I can't spend so much time there because I got some other stuff I want to give you. Just understand those three levels of communication. And just by knowing that, it'll help you to be more present inside of those conversations. All right, so let's move to the second thing. Um, and this is the second thing that you have to have an understanding of in order to effectively communicate. And this one is all about how to effectively listen to your spouse. See, listening is tied to communication. How you listen will determine how well you communicate. I have found, and again, I'm speaking from just my professional experience and research, that the worst listeners also struggle the most when it comes to communicating with their spouses. And conversely, the best listeners, those that can actually demonstrate effective listening skills, they actually have much better communication. Long-term, short-term, in conflict, doesn't really matter. They tend to have the best communication because they know how to listen. So I want you to think of it from this angle. If love is something that you give, then the best thing that you can give to your spouse during a conversation is a listening ear. I want you to focus on, and you've heard this before, seeking first to understand before you seek to be understood. And trust me, doing this will be the most difficult thing to do during a conflict. Because it's during a conflict where you maybe have some needs and desires that you're trying to get met. During a conflict is typically when you have a, a point of view uh, that you want to be received and understood. So typically, whenever there's a conflict is when I see people struggle the most when it comes to listening effectively, especially in those moments when you want to feel heard and when you feel like they're not paying attention and when you feel like they didn't, you know, they're minimizing what you're saying or how you're feeling. And even as basic as this advice is, it is actually the hardest thing to implement on a consistent and intentional basis. I want you to catch that. You got to do it consistently and you have to be intentional about it. So I guess the only way to be consistent is to be intentional. Okay. Those two things are tied together. Can't have one without the other and expect to be good at listening. Okay. So again, remember, listening is a gift that you give. It's an act of service. It's something that you give inside of a conversation with your spouse. Now, because of that, uh, allow me to share with you five basic strategies, because I want you to really like, I want to have, I want to give you tools that you can take with you that you can begin implementing as soon as this session is over. So because it's an, an, an invaluable tool, it's something that you got to give to your spouse because of how important listening is, I'm going to give you five basic strategies that will help you to become better at effective listening with your spouse. Now, remember, if you want to be heard and understood by them, it is often best to model and give that same energy first. Keep that same energy. Give that same energy. 
and model it first. Don't expect to receive without giving, right? There's a Jewish proverb that says it's better that it's better to give than to receive. Why is that the case? Well, it's human psychology, right? If 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 a person is more uh, open and receptive and vulnerable to you and with you when they feel like you're not just using them to get something. So in marriage, it's all about giving. We talk about unconditional love. It's all about a gift. It's all about something you give. Chapter one of my book, The 37 Laws to Mastering Marriage, that first law is the law of agape. And I, I define what agape looks like. And I tell people, love inside of marriage is an act. It's an action. It's a decision. It's a gift. It's something that you give first, not something that you receive first. It's something you give. Okay. And if you got two spouses focused on giving, then guess what? Your needs more likely, more times than not, will be met. Okay. So here are five strategies for becoming a better effective listener with your spouse. Strategy number one, this is simple, but it's not easy. Stop. No, no, no. That, that's, that's strategy number one. <laughs> Stop. Focus on the other person. Focus on their thoughts. Focus on their feelings. Like consciously focus on quieting your own internal commentary and step away from your own concerns to think about those that your spouse may be having and expressing. Stopping first means that you are giving your full attention to your spouse. You're not on your phone. You're not watching TV. You're not texting or on Snapchat or whatever it is that you do while you're trying to talk to them. You're giving them your complete attention. You're silencing out that internal dialogue that we all have. Like even while you're listening right now, you're also saying something to you in your head about what I'm saying or about what you got to do next. Or maybe if you're driving or you're at the gym on the treadmill, you're thinking about other things while you're also listening. And inside of a conversation with your spouse, you're going to have to turn that volume down. Stopping is an act of discipline. It's something that you do and you have to be disciplined about first. So before you can do anything else, stop. Okay. That's number one. Number two is look, I want you to pay attention to the nonverbal cues. I just got through talking about how important nonverbal behavior, how important that is to communication. And if you're not looking, if you're literally not listening with your eyeballs, right, you're going to miss so much when it comes to listening to your spouse's heart. So pay attention to the nonverbal messages. Don't let yourself be distracted by the distractions around you, right? This is why I say, put the phone down, put the remote control down, look at them in their eyes, look at their body language, pay attention, be very present in the conversation. Notice their body language and nonverbal cues. Do that and that'll help allow you to have a richer, better, more meaningful understanding of your spouse's point. See, I hear this a lot when couples come in and they're struggling with communication. They'll say things like, she doesn't hear me or he doesn't understand what I'm saying. And we just have drifted apart in our communication or we just don't communicate deep. There's no depth. And it's usually because there's a lot of distractions. Distractions disrupt depth. And so if I got all these other things in front of me, if all the time when we talk, it's either on the phone or it's maybe while we're watching a show or maybe when I'm in the car or at the gym or whatever the case may be, then we're not going to have any lasting, meaningful connections because there's, I can't see you. I can't pay attention to your body language. I can't feel you. I can't touch you inside of a conversation. So avoid getting distracted. Okay. Keep the distractions to a minimum. And also another thing is 
why it's so important to look first is because sometimes you may hear some things and you may get distracted by what you're hearing with your ears. But before you say anything, before you open your mouth, just look. Because you may hear something, and if you're not looking, you may misinterpret what you heard because what was said is also coupled with body language, with nonverbal cues. So you have to take both of those and the tone. So don't get distracted by the verbal message either because you're not paying attention, which is why it's so vital to look before you speak. Okay? So if number one was all about stopping and pausing, number two was all about looking, right? Number three is listen. Now, this whole concept is about listening. So let me further explain what I mean by this. Number three, that strategy is is listening. Now, when I say listen, I mean intently and intentionally listen deeper than the surface. Listen for the essence of your spouse's thoughts. Listen for details, major ideas, and their meanings. Don't just take what you hear at face value without trying to decode and translate what they're really saying. The best way to do this is to really have an understanding of your spouse's communication patterns. Another one of the 37 laws that I talk about in my my favorite book, The 37 Laws to Mastering Marriage, is the law of the pupil. It means being a student of your spouse, studying them, understanding their psychology. What makes them tick? What was communication like growing up for them in their, their house? And what habits What bad habits and good habits do they have when it comes to communicating? And do they often speak their mind or do they beat around the bush? Are they very direct and linear or is there a lot of depth to what they're saying? And I'll give you guys a clue. This one's for free. Women communicate differently than men. So if I'm a husband and I'm communicating to my wife, I cannot listen through my ears. I have to listen based off of what I understand about my spouse because women communicate on a different level than men. Men are very linear speakers, right? We we speak in straight lines. Ask me how many types of lines there are. There's a straight line. Or how many types of straight lines there are. There's just one type of straight line. <laughs> linear, very A plus B equals C. Very um, logical, which I'm not saying is always good or bad, but it's just how we communicate. Women, women communicate in color. So they communicate with depth, with dimension. So they may, you may ask, oh, how was work? And if she says, ah, work was okay. Well, don't take that the way you would take that. Understand that she, when she says, okay, that she's saying the color blue, but she's not saying royal blue. She may be saying aqua blue. There's a completely different hue of blue. And if you're missing it because you heard what you heard and translated it through your linear reasoning, then you're going to miss all of what she's saying which is why it's so vital to make sure that you're paying attention to her body language as well. But you got to listen for the details, listen for the main ideas, understand who's the speaker. Do not hear me guys. Do not interpret what they are saying based off of what you would say and why you would say it. Do not give their meaning your meaning. If you lack meaning, ask a question. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But do not interpret what they're saying through your worldview because you will have just not listened effectively. Okay? So seek an overall understanding of what your spouse is trying to communicate rather than reacting to the individual words or terms that they use as they're expressing themselves. Because again, you may hear one word and you may interpret that through how you see the world and you may completely miss the meaning of what they're saying because you guys may not have the same type of meaning of expression or interpretation when said, when certain words are being said, right? So again, wise remember, you interpret information 
through depth, through color, through layers, through dimension. Your husband is very linear. There is no, there's not a lot of depth. If he says a statement, do not sit there and try to color it because that's how you listen to the world. You're going to have to adapt his communication style in order to at least understand how to interpret what he's saying. Other words, you're going to always draw too much meaning. So for instance, and I've, <laughs> I've had to deal with this a lot, guys. So she asked him, hey, so babe, what are, you, what are your thoughts about this dress on me? And he says, ah, oh, it's cool. It's all right. And all of a sudden, because she's listening through color, so what do you, what you saying? Are you saying I look fat? You don't like it? What, what, are you not attracted? To, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, and I know I'm being slightly facetious, but this is true stuff. All of a sudden, now we have a conflict because she just interpreted what he said. He said a linear statement through uh, her colorful lenses. So wives, be careful of that. On the flip side, because I ain't going to, don't worry, I got your back, wives. On the flip side, husbands, understand that if she's asking you a question, she's asking you a colorful question. She's not asking you a linear question nine, nine times out of 10. Sometimes she will. But most of the time, if she's asking you your thoughts on how the dress looks on her, do not sit there and give her a linear answer. Oh, I like it. Or it's cool. Mm-mm, mm-mm. As much as possibly. And I know this is a discipline, so you're not going to get this right all the time. But be mindful of this. Go deeper, give her dimension, give her details, right? Give her color if you can. And if you can't practice first so that you don't unintentionally offend by giving a linear answer when she was looking for more depth, okay? So listen, that's what listen means. It means go deeper, listen for the essence of your spouse's thoughts. All right, number four. This one is a good one, guys. Be empathetic. Yes, be empathetic. A lot of times I see husbands struggle with empathy and it's a lot of times because we weren't raised to be empathetic beings. And so I see the husbands often struggle with sharing and demonstrating empathy with their spouse. But imagine how you would feel in their circumstances, right? This is all about empathy. It's all about putting yourself in their shoes. Um, So imagine how you would feel if you were in their situation, looking at it from their point of view, not from yours, right? Be empathetic to their feelings um, while also maintaining a calm center within yourself. The thing that disrupts empathy is you're overthinking or not thinking enough. You're you're not present enough to put yourself in their shoes because you are you have already drawn some meaning from what's been said or you're creating a narrative or you're just listening to talk. You ain't listening to hear, right? So you need not be drawn into all of the problems of an issue as long as you can acknowledge what they're experiencing. So empathy doesn't mean you're going to experience every iota of pain that they have. So you don't have to be drawn all the way there, but you have to be aware and at least acknowledge what they're experiencing. And sometimes we lack empathy because we don't have the experience that they are having. And so we have to open ourselves up to be present enough in their experience or what we call in therapy, sharing space with their experience so that you can at least understand from um, the, the position of proximity opposed to not knowing because you haven't given any, you haven't acknowledged at all what they're experiencing. So be empathetic, put yourself in their shoes. Don't just create a narrative based off of what you would do or what you feel. Put that to the side and focus solely on experiencing from their point of reference. Okay. And then number five, and again, we're talking about five ways to listen, right? <laughs> five, and this ain't even, we ain't even got to talking yet, but we're about to. We ain't got to how you respond yet, but number five is going to be about your response. And number five is ask good questions. 
And this is probably my most favorite topic to discuss when it comes to listening and communication, because as a therapist, this is something that I have to do on a almost daily basis, especially when I'm working in in session. Um, You have to use questions to clarify your understanding, right? So when you ask a question, it's to clarify understanding. It's to make sure that you're communicating that you get it. Or if you don't, you're asking questions to get it, to get more information. So use questions to clarify your understanding as well as to demonstrate interest in what is being said. So when you ask questions, it's you showing them that you are present with what's being said, that you're in the moment, you're sharing space, and you're willing to go deeper and understand what's being said. And if you don't, the question is asked to get more information. Okay, y'all got that so far? Now, this last point is probably the most overlooked strategy when it comes to effective listening. And as a result, I find that couples tend to make more assumptions and have more misinterpretations than necessary because they're not asking effective questioning or they're not asking good questions. They're not putting themselves in a position to gain more information and more insight. And these bad habits are what impair effective communication. So if you're noticing that you guys aren't connecting and you guys keep getting stuck in this vicious loop, it's probably because you haven't done a good job of asking good questions. Okay. So because of that, I want to, I want to really key in on this method. Um, Asking good questions is extremely effective. Like I said, it's one of the most favorite things I like to focus on because it's, if you can do this it changes the trajectory of your conversation. It changes the course, the energy of a conversation. And I do this a lot with my couples. And if if you have my book, The 37 Laws to Mastering Marriage, uh, you may recognize what I'm about to do. <laughs> uh, and I love, when I do my speaking engagements, like the last one I did where I did a teaching on um, uh, emotional intelligence, I actually use this and did this with the audience. And it was it was fun to just watch people struggle with it. But if you read my book, uh, then what I'm about to do may sound kind of familiar. Or if you've been to any of my speaking events, then you'll probably know the answer. Uh, so this exercise uh, that I'm about to do, though, is taken from the law of the right question. And that's chapter 13 of my book. I think it's page 87, uh, but it's definitely chapter 13. And it's in the back. So at, at the end of the chapter, I give like different things for you to work on. And this, this activity is one of those. So I want to test how good you are at asking good questions or like I talk about in the book, asking the right questions. Uh, now, here's what we're going to do. I want you to listen closely to what I'm about to say. And I want, I want to see if you can answer the question. Well, let me say it this way, because this may make more sense. I want to see if you can figure out the solution. The solution is going to be a good question. So it'll make sense in a minute, okay? But I just want, I want you to pay attention because you may miss some details if you're not listening. Now, in this situation, you can't see me, so you're going to have to just give me your undivided attention on your own volition. You're going to have to make sure wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you listen. Um, and you may need to pause and rewind uh, to get all of it in. So. Here we go. Let's get started. Now, a crime was committed in the city. The police have interrogated two suspects. The guilty suspect always lies. The innocent suspect 
always tells the truth. Each suspect knows who committed the crime and if the other is truthful or a liar. Only one of the suspects committed the crime, but the police don't know which one. So, here's my question to you guys. What one question can the police ask each suspect to identify the real culprit? What one question can the police ask each suspect to identify the real culprit? Now, I'm going to reread that. That way you get all the details. If, you, if you're writing it down and taking notes, or if you're reading along in chapter 13, then you know go ahead and answer it. But I'm going to do it again. A crime was committed in the city. The police have interrogated two suspects. The guilty suspect always lies. The innocent suspect always tells the truth. Each suspect knows who committed the crime and if the other is truthful or a liar. Only one of the suspects committed the crime, though, but the police don't know which one. What one question can the police ask each suspect to identify the real culprit? Now, it's going to be the same question they ask both. So there's only one question that if they ask both suspects, they will be able to identify the real culprit based off of what the suspects say. Okay, now take a minute or two or five to answer the question. Okay, now here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you the answer, okay? I want you to be thinking about this. (laughs) So there's only one answer. There's only one right answer to this, okay? Hopefully you got the right answer. But if not, this is just an example of how to ask better questions. And the, the goal isn't necessarily just to get it right. It's to think outside the box to see if there are better questions you could be asking to get better pieces of information from your spouse. So here's the answer. If I asked the other suspect if he committed the crime, would he admit that he did? So the police, if they ask this one question, this, is, this will help you get to the bottom of things. If I asked the other suspect if he committed the crime, would he admit that he did it? This this notion of asking the right question, I actually may do a, a whole um, podcast episode on uh, because this will actually, like, there's so much here. There's so much here. But here's the reason why that question is the right question. So if you ask both suspects if he committed the crime, they both would say no. So just asking them this question directly would not do any good. Uh, The innocent suspect would truthfully deny committing the crime, and the guilty suspect would lie and say that he didn't commit the crime. So they both would say no. So asking the correct question would result in the following. So if you asked, if I asked the other suspect if he committed the crime, would he admit that he did? If you asked that question, this is why it would work. The innocent suspect who always tells the truth would say that the guilty suspect, who always lies, would say no, that he didn't commit the crime, even though he did. The guilty suspect, who always lies, will say that the innocent suspect would say yes, that he committed the crime. Thus, the suspect who would say that the other would admit to committed the crime would be the guilty party. Hope that makes sense. Again, read the book if you want more explanation. Anyway, so that's just a a fun 
activity that I like to do with individuals just to kind of get the wheels turning on how to be better at asking good questions. All right. So here's what I want you to do, because we're going to wrap up here. Um, And I want to give you an action item because, you know, at the end of every episode, you get an action item. And this is something that you get to take away and practice until we meet again. So over the next week, I want you to really focus on demonstrating those five effective listening strategies. So I want you to do that when you're communicating with your spouse throughout any conversation. So any conversation, every conversation over the next week, I want you to really, really focus on practicing those five effective listening skills. Remember, number one was stop. Number two was look. Number three was listen. Number four was be empathetic. And number five was ask good questions. Okay. I want you to practice those five listening strategies over the next week throughout all of your conversations. And I want you to really work hard at intentionally listening to them, like purposefully listening to them without any strings attached. Okay. So pay attention to the moments where you struggle with this versus the moments where you are at your best with this. And guess what? We'll discuss more about these things in our upcoming sessions. All right, guys, that's it for today. I want you to make sure that you're applying these principles and practicing this stuff because the only way you get better is if you practice. Okay. And again, remember today we discussed just a few strategies when it comes to improving the communication inside of your marriage. So uh, I want you to uh, listen to this again if you need to, share it with your spouse if you guys aren't listening together. But whatever you do, do this and be intentional about it. Okay. Anyway, thank you guys for coming in to your session at the Marriage Counselor's Corner. I appreciate you coming and sitting on the couch and joining me. And guess what? We're going to have another great episode. Episode five is around the corner. And I ain't even going to tell y'all what it's about (laughs) because I want you guys just to come ready, ready for whatever. Okay. So be be on time next session. Okay. Because I'm going to start on time. Make sure y'all coming in. and, And I look forward to seeing you guys at the Marriage Counselor's Corner. Anyway. Please don't forget to go to our website, the www.marriagecounselorscorner.com so that you can actually leave your questions. Because remember, I am looking to answer at least two to three questions in, in the episodes that I do my Q&A. I want to make sure I'm answering your question. The only way I can do that is if you leave me your questions. So go to www.marriagecounselorscorner.com to leave me your questions, and I will look forward to answering those. Anyway, guys, thank you for your time, and I will talk to you soon. Deuces. Thanks for stopping by for your seat on the couch at the Marriage Counselor's Corner. Remember, go to marriagecounselorscorner.com to schedule your next session. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that you never miss a session. We look forward to having you back on the couch soon. Bye-bye now.